boys. This is Ryan Mancini. So it's kind of difficult, you know, going into this. Um, usually we'd have topics like fired away, ready to go. And we do for the most part. Um, mm. But with the advent of pretty much everything being shut down, uh, you know, how, how are you weathering out where you're all bunkered? I mean, just as uh, thing. Yeah, as Freddie Mercury once said, uh, I'm going slightly mad. Um, you know, it's uh, I think getting to go out. I know that's something that a lot of people in the last few days have been trying to combat their isolation and loneliness with going out, going hiking. Um, you know, a lot of people are taking their dogs out on walks, which naturally that's what you should do. Um, that all being said, uh, I know that that was a that was that was something very big in the news this last week was a lot of closures of parks and trails in and around parts of Los Angeles and Los Angeles County, which is smart. But at the same time, I feel I feel like you're I feel like you're sorry to cut you off. I feel like you're already maintaining proper social distancing when you're on hikes. Um, I actually went on a few before I even uh, got the news and I had been spending Mm -hmm. a large amount of time uh, in Northridge uh, while I was doing these hikes because like there's trails around the uh, uh, like around the university area and all that. Right. I mean, when I got the news of it, I was like. I was kind of wondering why that was necessary. Uh, there are few people to begin with, but I guess with everyone's, uh, like you said, combating the isolation, um, it wouldn't be surprising to see people out and about. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it, well, I think it's the idea, the thinking behind it in terms of uh, – if you're either part of the Los Angeles city council or the LA County board of supervisors is I think the main purpose is to make sure people are maintaining the whole social distancing conundrum. And I think that's something that at least in SoCal, not a lot of people are following it. I, Mm -hmm. I did see some uh, news footage earlier of people in New York practicing it and it was kind of jarring to see but at the same time with everything going on it seems to make the most bit of sense um and even just recently i went out for a walk and here's the thing and and you know full disclosure i i did get to physically see sebastian before we were recording uh six feet apart no less (laughs) more like no less than over six feet um because i'm to a slight degree kind of a germaphobe and i think i said it last week not i'm I'm not as much of a germaphobe as uh the president um (laughs) but like i I was walking in the median of a street like that's how far away i was from this family that was ahead of me i just i walked through the street walked into the median and then once they were past me i walked back to the sidewalk and i could hear you know they had teenagers in their family and they were like yucking it up because I was social distancing and I wanted to be like, you know, hey, guess what? You schmucks, there's more cases where we live. 
So yeah. and, and see that's yeah, kind of the, got, that's the damn scarier part. I mean that's the scarier part because you know without disclosing where you're situated right now, um, you have more cases in your city or in your um, district I should say than than mine, which oh, is right. predominant, which is ironically predominantly larger uh, adjacent to the Los Angeles area. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I get the whole like you know, comparing your your district to like a smaller pond, but it is well, that's just I, it. Where you know. where I am it's 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 spacious. And I think mm-hmm. Which is even more we, ironic. Yeah. Like like 'cause we're where you know, 'cause I used to live where you live and yeah. I I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that you have a much larger business presence, whereas where I live the businesses are very widespread, meaning they're everywhere, kind of like where they are, where you are. But at the same time, there there's enough gap, I guess, in between one set of businesses and then another set of small businesses and then another. So, but then on top of that, it like I said, it, it's it's just very widespread of an area as well, and so given that there's so much space and given how not clear it is in terms of where some of these people were that had coronavirus, it makes it that much more unclear as to whether or not I'm living in an area that's considered safe. And I know specifically in my area, there have been at least one or two cases. Mm-hmm. So uh, out of the roughly almost a dozen in my area. So uh yeah, but I mean, other than that, like, I've I've been trying to keep my mind off of it. You know, I'm I, I've been catching up on the new season of Cosmos. Um, you know, watch hey, it. You, uh, curious, you, give sh- but... you give that show Hunters a shot? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, you know, I was, have got. I know I had, it was funny. I am. I actually uh-huh. saw an advertisement for it, and um, uh, my girlfriend and her roommates. We're like, oh, that looks really interesting. <laughs> and I just, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't help myself. I just brought up the episode we did of it, episode uh-huh. two. And they were like, wait, really? Nazi fetishization? Really? <laughs> Never mind. I'm not going to see that. Well, so, I th- well and I, I you know, and uh, the funny baby at that time, I had mentioned uh, the show Plot Against America, which I have been watching. And let me tell you something. You know, it's it's a little bit, you know, I've had some people argue with me that it is doing somewhat of the same thing as Hunters, where it's using real history and sort of trivializing it into an alternative storyline, which one could argue that's the case. However, with Plot Against America, it's it's a much more dignified uh, much more dignified show, in my personal opinion. Um, and a part of it is because I read the book, and the book by Philip Roth is a must-read. Um, that was a book that it gained a lot of resurgence after Trump won in 2016, because there's a lot of comparisons between Trump's victory in 2016 versus the alternate history victory of Charles Lindbergh becoming president of the United States in 1940. In this book's timeline. And so and it's from kind of an autobiographical perspective where 
it's Philip Roth as a kid with his family, but it's clearly not totally autobiographical because Charles Lindbergh never became president. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> so, uh, oh, he it would have been a disaster. It it would have been like the uh, uh, oh shoot, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, but it was the king prior to King George the Sixth who abdicated the throne because uh, he was married to a divorced American woman, Wallace Simpson, and he also was a sympathizer of the Nazis. And mm-hmm. so – which led England down this path of, well, do you want a Nazi sympathizer or a guy who keeps stammering? And so uh, that's kind of the scary thing that you look at with Plot Against America is do you want the guy who took – America out of the depression, or are you going to go down the path of isolationism, a whole American, America first, you know, myth- mythology, or, you know, do you want to go down the path of outright fascism all the same with Lindbergh? Right. So, um, but the way it handles Philip Roth's family and that era, that late 1930s period, it, like I said, it feels real in a twisted way. It feels relatable to the times that we live in um, in several different ways, and I can't recommend it enough. It's definitely something to check out. Um, yeah, and, I, you know, other than that, I mean, trying to catch up on movies, uh, you know, it's it's been a little bit slow, but at the same time, it's just about kind of keeping my mind occupied. Yeah, I mean, that's what the entirety of social media has been doing as of late. I mean, uh, I think we were talking about this earlier, just a little tangent. The whole until tomorrow shit going on was, uh, mm-hmm. I think, something that caught everyone off guard. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like looking at it last night, it was a matter of like, OK, has I, has everyone just like joined a cult and we didn't know about it or you know because it was like oh i guess they're dying until tomorrow all right (laughs) yep yeah i I mean i I mean i know everyone's you know doing their best to sort of keep a positive attitude as well as to well it's hard not to think about but make best use of their time which ironically i think during this time nobody's doing you know, they're just kind of yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, at least it's, there, it's there's a large miss, per, there's a large percentage realistically of people wasting their lives on social media. However, I don't think I can really make that case, considering that people were already doing that before the mm-hmm. pandemic, and right. they'll continue to do it after the pandemic. So, you know, the the I, guy the guy who's overseeing all of this, the freaking chief executive of this land of ours. He he's the the reigning champion of it for goodness sake. I mean he's he's spending more time on social media, burping and shrugging his way through a tweet just like he is through his press conferences. And you know at this point we're all listening to a bunch of free market capitalists that you know we're we're gonna listen to them, but then at we're the listen, same time we're listening to a bunch prepared. of free we're listening to a bunch of free market capitalists. When a the market's fucking closed now, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean practically, yeah. And you know, I, I don't know, man. Like everyone working from home, if if you don't think that's gonna cause a a negative surge, 
you know, think again, because I'm really starting to predict the whole like sort of artistic mantra of working from home. And this is going to tie in. This is going to segue into what we're going to be talking about next. But I think the market and I'm no economist, so, you know, please don't come at me. But I really do think that the market is going to become a lot more uh, just inundated with a lot more creatives, which is, of course, a good thing. But there comes a point where, you know, hey, when is this going to be too much? And speaking of that, I feel as though we should go into our next talking point of what you recently discovered, uh, an individual who is um, taking a census. So I don't know if you wanted to go more into that. Yeah, you definitely have more information uh, regarding such. But yeah, this uh, was this was something that I um oh my goodness where did I initially I want to say I initially found it through. I remember you found it through Instagram. That's where you sent yeah. it to me. Well, it was it was initially through another. Um, I, I want to say it was through an art museum that we follow. Um, and it may have been the same art museum we were talking about uh, in regards to the uh, murals, uh, the mural collective. And uh, yeah, it was very interesting. Uh, this first, it was a video that I had found, and it was by uh, a local artist by the name of Tatiana Vahan, and she's basically running what is known as the Los Angeles Artist Census. Now, I find this to be incredibly fascinating, not just out of the fact that she's doing this, like there's someone who's actually trying to accomplish this, but also given our own platform, given our own podcast, um, this is something that I think is well worth uh, keeping an eye on just because, you know, we're... So we're we want to be fixated, but also fascinated with a lot of the local artists in and around uh, Southern California. But then but then to find somebody else who's virtually doing the same thing, except she's documenting it in a very sort of analytical way that's important, a la the census. um, it, It was just something that it caught my attention. And I feel like it's our obligation to kind of keep an eye on this, but also see where it goes because she did have a video. um, She did post recently about not knowing how this is going to be impacted by the pandemic. Um, This was something that was slowly kind of getting underway. And I know that there's, uh, there's a recent post for a survey that SoCal artists can participate in. And the survey um, as of, Excuse me. As of this night, uh, as of the night of recording, March 25th, it is open for one more week, the survey. Um, so by the time this is published on Anchor and Spotify and Apple Podcasts, uh, look out for us there, uh, the survey will be closed. Um, and basically, uh, just to kind of give a quick rundown on the survey and the two purposes, the two main points of the survey, which is, um, and this is reading off of a recent post, uh, once things have become more under control with this virus, the data will serve as a record of how local artists lived before the COVID-19 pandemic. This is an invaluable resource for understanding the effects this event will have 
had on artists in our community. And then the second point, from the beginning, this survey was built to identify and map the needs of local visual artists. This will help public and private funders know where and how to allocate money for artists and will provide public officials with the data needed to support, to support policies responding to artists' needs. We artists can use this data as a tool to collectively imagine and shape an infrastructure that is supportive to more artists in LA County. Uh, the information will be publicized ASAP so that it can be used to advocate for funding, resources, and protections for local artists during this time. Um, and this is something that I, I do intend on sharing on our social media just so that people know. Um, even though we have a small base, uh, you and I, we have our, you know, our personal Instagram and Twitter accounts that we can let people know that this is happening. Um, but I, I just simply find this fascinating because in a lot of ways, this is kind of what we're all about, trying to build kind of an artist platform or a platform for artists to build their own collective. And I feel like this is kind of doing that, but in a much more, uh, you know, as I said earlier, a much more analytical way. And I think that's the danger we run into now, especially now, more so than before the pandemic, which is, and, and in a weird way, this kind of ties in with what we talked about with the whole California exodus thing, which is, what if we do have those artists that, you know, live in an area where there is no rent freeze, they still have to pay rent, nobody's paying them, and so they realize, you know what, the arts wasn't enough, I might as well go back home, back east, and, you know, work as a, you know, cash yeah. register at yeah, Savon like, or Ralph's like, or Bonds or something. Oh, Savon, that's a name I haven't heard in ages. Uh, but yeah, like, sort I, of I the, might have just <laughs> dated myself saying Jesus. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> the um, the you have to fish where the fish are biting kind of mantra. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of the mantra that in ways, in some ways, you do have to live by because uh, short of doing something for sake of enjoyment, golly gee, that's a thing. Um, people nowadays would rather also make money doing so. Um, and it's not so much scummy to think that it's scummy when that becomes your whole point of existing in creating. And, uh, personally to those people, if I could take a tomahawk to each and every one, I would, <laughs> but you know, well, I, it's, I, I, I it's, it's when, it's when, the, it's when the ego stroking of doing such becomes too much. Yeah. Uh, so it now when you I mean, when you say that are you talking about are, are, are you, that you're not saying that widespread that's more some artists that they it's if more, it's they are on, so, on a high horse yes it's more so of the tune of artists who you know for lack of a better word they might do fairly well in the market or they may just have an already existent audience i know a lot of youtubers did this when they moved to youtube from vine uh, you yeah. get a bunch of Viners turned YouTubers. Now, well, I think that's just it. Is it's when you take the, your cre it's when you take your so-called creative edge and you put it on a platform where millions upon millions of people are seeing it, right? And they're only looking at it through the eyes of this person can do no wrong. Thus, I'm going to keep supporting him or her. Where on the contrary, this person is doing plenty wrong with 
their business model playing wrong in the eyes of entertainment personally in my personal opinion i don't know how you could find certain people on youtube entertaining anymore uh entertaining yeah, anymore i i but, i don't know i there's there I, I know this was something i mentioned to you earlier but there's uh but i think well well, well there, i was I'm, gonna I'm, say yeah. there's still a widespread uh you know film community yeah, there, there, there on, is still a large you know whether film. it's I mean, I mentioned schmoes. No, there's screen junkies. Like there's, uh, right. and then there's individuals too, like Jeremy Johns, Roxy Stryer. Uh, I've mentioned Chris Stuckman several times on this show. Like they're all. I I think it's just it, it it depends on who you stick with, and also you have to be an individual of the right mind. Uh, yeah. To look at some of the look at people and value them not for their entertainment quality, even though. It, that's well it's an entertainment virtually anything say, it's an entertainment website so yeah I'm not, I'm not saying that certain websites are meant to fulfill certain purposes mm. you know but, I, but when i, I, I but, think, but when i, I just, type it yeah. but when i type in por into the search bar and i on autom- i automatically get a a, a quick response a quick uh, fill in from google knowing what i'm typing in I think we can attest what I'm searching for, you know, what I'm what I'm looking for. My point is, I think when it comes to your argument about, uh, you know, you're going to have artists who are on a high horse that receive a lot of attention and people are going to gravitate towards them and ignore other talent that arguably deserves even more attention. My argument to that has because I've, I've you know i've known a lot of people especially lately who have made similar arguments about different things whether it's economics politics uh hell the publishing industry and uh my personal take on it is it in some ways is like when people and i'm not saying you're doing this but when people stereotype based off of what a few bad examples are and I think ultimately that stereotype totally ends up – it ends up upending the general message, which is uh, – in this case, the art industry is built up of you know, thousands of individuals living and working probably for freelance mm-hmm. in and around SoCal. And I think they're, they're – at this point in time, especially with this pandemic – they're probably thinking to themselves, I am lost, I yeah. am alone, I am scared, and I am without no money because, you know, the, my landlord is an asshole. And I think that's something in which, uh, you know, in terms of the census, not only is it building up a it, – it's, it's arguably – it's intended to be a message to the region that you have all of these people living in this – part of the state of California that are contributing to one of the most important things in all of society, which is stimulating people's minds through one art medium or another. And right now they don't have any financial support, have no substructure that's keeping them afloat in terms of networking, community. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I think this census I would hope would send a message to a lot of people uh, in Los Angeles and in Los Angeles County, letting them know, guess what? These are the people that make 
this whole region come alive uh, visually, you know, through audio, through video, through writing, whatever it may be. And they're totally being lost by the wayside. I mean, you know, I, I think I made the argument to a friend of mine where I told her, uh, who knows what could come out of this? Because right now, and this somewhat ties in with our second topic, which is, uh, which we'll get to that shortly. But as of right now, we're almost in a creative dead space because of this pandemic. Um, being online and seeing places that I love, you know, art museums, restaurants, all these things that are, you know, the embodiment of what what L.A. represents. To see them close is like watching, you know, it, it's like imagine being an octopus, except you have way more than eight tentacles. It's mm-hmm. like watching every single tentacle just get lopped off one by one by one by one. And to a degree, it's heartbreaking because these are placed, you know, and I, I've said this before as a non-religious person, like to some extent, these are places, these are almost like places of worship to some extent, whether yeah. it's through the sciences, the arts, anthropology, archaeology, uh, you know, science fiction, uh, music, whatever the hell it is. And I think that's what makes the whole creative aspect of this time period so fragile is people are scared and filled with anxiety and they're isolated and they can't think beyond their, right. and that this isn't to put them down. They can't think beyond their four walls. And so the thing that I had told my friend was who knows, we could have a bloody Renaissance mm-hmm. when this whole thing ends. And I think which, that's which would the be potential that ideal, there. you know, which would be ideal would, but I think what I have, problems you know sort of like a problem with grasping out of this whole thing is that like you said people are being trapped within their four walls in order to well hopefully create which is i feel what a lot of people are doing now yeah i think the whole marketability aspect more specifically people making money off of living with you know it may be with a legitimate arts degree or something that they just do for freelance or even hell for fun people now realizing that i need to market in order to on one end of the spectrum maybe pay their rent while on another end of the spectrum pay for dire medical supplies you know and i'm just sort yeah. of if you fall somewhere in the middle there you go it's well, the and i think it's sort of the um the people feeling lost, at least I can personally sense, uh, is the question of what do people actually need or what do people actually want now? And even in my case of publishing or in your case of journalism, what can I write or what can you write that is really going to touch the hearts and minds of people alike? You know, I can publish a book like that and I'm sure you could write your, your opinion piece and put it out there in the world, but right sort of to the and to the tune of the of the renaissance trope what are people looking to get out of this once this is over through their artistic measures are people supposed to you know and again speaking from the perspective of someone who is not so much who doesn't so much find uh any 
error in faith, but finding many in religion. I guess you could say I'm virtually spiritual in that regard. How are people how are people going to react escaping from their their tombs, in this case, their front doors Mm -hmm. and going out into the world? Are they going to be viewed as the next Socrates who published the next opinion piece, uh, think piece online? You know, are they going to be revered in society? Oh, wow. You really touched me while we were all in quarantine. And, I mean, that, that's what and Brad Stevens point, is trying to do every day in the uh, New York Times opinion. And... You know, and, <laughs> and more to the point, what are people such as influencers, celebrities who would already have enough means and supplies and uh, financially stable capabilities to go around, yeah, uh, yeah. yapping their gums on Twitter and Instagram, what... What do they have to contribute to the table? And that's my main point. It, it comes to a point where how are you really struggling if you put yourself in this light? You don't appear to be struggling, at least financially or at least medically. Well, I, I so think how, when how you say it? that, you have to realize you're saying that probably to someone who has you know some kind of art history and considers himself an artist who – is probably in the same situation that a lot of uh, either freelance journalists or, to keep it within the journalism realm, uh, paid employees at local newspapers are, where they're living in an apartment that's way beyond their means, and it's a humble apartment, but they're realizing that if they want to be close to the kind of culture and surroundings that's going to benefit them both financially but also in terms of their career – they have no other option. I mean, again, this ties back in with the Exodus story so it, where so it, so you're not really going to go to Podunk, Iowa. It really is a double-edged you're, you're sword. Not gonna, yeah. Well, it, it's it's tantamount, if anything, to how crappy of a situation it is where you have about half of the country barely able to make ends meet. And the fact that right now you've got, you know, we're, we're on the verge of a depression and you have people that are expected to live off of their savings when they're living paycheck to paycheck. And meanwhile, you have these large corporations that are so, so poorly managed that they don't even want to dare spend another dime because they'd rather just keep making money. And so I think you have to look at it from the point of view of community and solidarity with a lot of younger artists who – and mind you, a lot of them are probably people that are trying to find some kind of attempt, you know, per per one of the tenets of this show, Mars on Life. Uh, you know, you find them uh, trying to reflect society through their artwork. And, you know, obviously you're going to have people where they have more of their pop art and they may have more abstract art that visually goes nowhere, but maybe there is a point to it. And I think that's something that, if you impede people that are trying to send a message, even through the most mundane pieces of art, you're arguably cutting off what could be a very vital message for people. Um, and case in point, you know, this kind of ties more with journalism and politics, but uh, Bernie Sanders' whole plan on totally restructuring the way that the journalism industry works, you know, for decades you've had editors and you know watchdog groups and uh, journalism professors try and come up with all these hackneyed ideas 
as how to reinvent the industry so that it's much more affordable, but also much more accessible for journalists of all ages and of all career levels. And none of them had come up with anything until Bernie Sanders did. And of course, we've all seen, you know, how much of an effort the DNC has been trying to silence Bernie Sanders. So (laughs) I think that's where you got to look at a situation like this, where if you don't have the census, you could have the next. And I I said this to you already uh, in the before recording, which is, you know, obviously we're not going to have another Da Vinci or another Shakespeare or a repeat of the Beatles. But that doesn't mean we can't, you know, that doesn't mean we need to cut off to the next great person. And I think, you know, I, when I think about people in SoCal that are making a difference with their art and, you know, people that I've met personally, or even just people that I admire, like, you know, a great example, um, somebody who I, I didn't know who he was until he was killed, uh, Nipsey Hussle. That man was doing yeah. some outstanding work outside of his music, and he was mm-hmm. killed. And I think that those are the kinds of the people that you need to look out for with a census like this, because, you know, you could have somebody maybe with not as much money as what Nip had when he died, but they could be on the path to being a, a valuable figure. I mean, not that, just, that, that's definitely, that's definitely the hope when, whenever any up and coming artist, writer, musician, you know, the hope is that through online means, especially because that's the biggest congregate, you know, online congregation, mm-hmm. you put your stuff out there. Ideally you get noticed. And then that's your sort of catapult to stardom, you know? And I think yeah. people are very much of the belief that anyone can just, you know, it's not even a matter of like, (laughs) it's not even a matter of the whole like pull up by your bootstraps mentality of I had to, you know, slosh through years and years of doing so, which is ironically and is is the tried and true way of doing so because people obviously need to practice their craft. But it's well, of the it, where... it's also it's also an old school mantra that the problem is, is that you can be, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and working. Yeah. And, you the, know, and working the... nine to five until you're 45 and you've still got no money saved yeah. up for your 401k. So, you know, it, I think I, I mean, oh, and as a side note, please put money in your 401k. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I was going to do that and then it's terrifying. I was going to do the, that and then the world ended. So it's terrifying know. to see the market completely crash and burn under your eyes. But, uh, you know, I got to be honest, there's a difference uh, between your employer saying, hey, you know, you should set it up and your own uh, uh, tax man, the guy who does your taxes that you hired to do your taxes, uh, say it. And I uh, think th- there's definitely a different sentiment when it comes yeah. to uh, to that. But I think one one last thing I want to mention that's important, too, is that especially with what's going on with coronavirus and being an artist, you know, it's and and this is arguably a pretty good transition into the next topic, which is what we're doing, you know, as a podcast, which ties in with what newspapers and other radio shows are doing. They're considered you know, essential. So we could arguably still go somewhere uh, and record in person. However, there's a lot of places where if you work in a certain arts field, 
you can't work, uh, mm-hmm. you know, namely the film industry. And I think that's just it is you have those essential uh, th- those quote unquote essential jobs. And, you know, I mean, hell, uh, our, our good friend Kenny Barry, you know, he's still working. He's still got to be engaging with the public, even though there's a bloody pandemic going around. And that's just the kicker is that if you're an artist, do you want to, you know, go into working into a job like that? Or would you rather be stuck at home, miserable, trying to come up with something? And I think, you know, as as much as I make it sound like it's doom and gloom, whether you do what Kenny's doing or whether you do what, you know, any Joe Schmo artist is doing in his or her apartment, there's no right answer because it's ultimately about making ends meet. And I think, you know, personally, I, again, I look at the census, this artist census, and I think this is something that the city and the county needs to recognize because there is a lot of emphasis on the arts. And I think there's a lot of untapped potential that needs to be at the forefront. And of course, that's what we want to do with this show. But it's also something that, frankly, the region needs to stop with the oversaturation with large corporations and look at the smaller voices that are providing a beautiful, vibrant message that reflect on what is going on in the world. And as of right now, we've gone from one level of hell to another, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that ties in with the next topic about uh, the film industry and how, you know, everything's shut down, <laughs> you know. You have uh, TV shows, film productions, they're all getting canceled or shutting down. Um, I know that there's been a lot of movies that have been pushed to streaming or they have since been in theaters and are now available on streaming. Um, I mean, last... to, tell you, to tell you the truth, and this is mm-hmm. in no way like demoting the film industry at large, but we've been seeing this shit since 2000. God, when did Netflix start to pop off? Like, sort of like the the onslaught of streaming services, right? And, of course, movies have to be made in order to be streamed. But, for the record, there was already a large array of content to begin with, okay? And I know that new movies do need to be made for people to still be in lines of work. But it's also not, revenue for a lot of these big companies, too. But, but, but we're definitely not at a loss. We're definitely not running out of movies to watch, you know, if that's the fear. Well, I, I think – well, no, I, I think – well, because if anything – I mean, if because if you ask me, like, where I, I kind of look at the, the film industry and kind of creativity, you know, I'm I'm very – negative about it to be brutally honest um i mean we we've talked at length about some of the lack of creativity in regards to uh star wars and a lot of the the remake trend in hollywood where it's like let's remake let's do a soft reboot let's find some way of doing the same thing but making it brand spanking new and i think number one i find that problematic but also I, I, I look at everything problematic from the standpoint of the genuine creatives that now can't make something that we're anticipating or they can't, you know, we can't see the movie that was supposed to come out like 
I don't know, this month. And now it's being pushed until, you know, I think it was, uh, oh, where was it? I just had it open. Uh, what was it? Um, it was uh, the latest Wonder Woman movie got pushed to August. And I know that there were also several movies that all got pushed to streaming. And I think, if anything, the you have the domestic box office, the international box office, and if you have a large movie, like, for example, there was the latest Pixar movie that didn't do so great financially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I personally wasn't going to see it. I'm not its target audience, but... You know, that's an indicator that even something as massive as Disney is not necessarily going to be, you know, totally stable when movie theaters are closed. People are encouraged to not go out of their homes and people are also encouraged to not be in large crowds. And I think that those are all indications of and streaming doesn't always tell you what the numbers are. Netflix doesn't always say how many people saw The Irishman or Marriage Story, or Roma, or Velvet Buzzsaw, right. or whatever it may be. And I think, well, while not explicitly shown, they do take that into account of, you know, if it if it, if it isn't achieving the numbers that we're looking for, scrap it. You know, there are new additions being added to these streaming services, and there are additions that last one week, and you never see them again. And that's how it was for a lot of independent films, which, I mean, big surprise, they were independent films. I wouldn't expect them to achieve uh, that critical acclaim as, you know, any uh, studio Marvel blockbuster. Yeah. You know, I, I think the streaming market, as of now, it's definitely doing its job in regards to, to keeping people occupied. Oh, no question. No question. I mean, you know, I, I, think, I think if, if people, anything, it's... if people were worried that new content wasn't going to be created at all, there may be a slight downtick in people creating the content in order to upload it to these streaming sites, which is, of course, something that people are going to have to wait upon. But given the mentality of 21st century college students watching the fucking office seven times over in a <laughs> row, <laughs> I still don't get I don't, that. I don't think I don't so... think we need to worry about people's attention spans and new content so yeah well i, I mean at I least i mean at least that's my pessimistically humorous realistic opinion <laughs> you know? well i i here's the thing and i i only push back on it because speaking as somebody who i i have a lot of close ties with people that work in the film industry and a lot of people that like me lost their jobs <laughs> last week that are, you know, people that they lost their jobs that are connected in, in the film industry. It's, it sucks because, you know, as much as it may be antithetical to some of what we like to preach on this show, it's still necessary in terms of creating jobs, but also it's creating platforms for people where they can fulfill their own deeds. I was gonna say don't like I was gonna say don't confuse my sentiment with um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like <laughs> definitely I the creation of more jobs and especially the hiring of new creatives in these fields um, yeah I can't necessarily say the same about and this is from personal stance of cartoon studios not gonna address them by name but. <laughs> And I really don't mean to put my rose-colored glasses on when I say this, but when I say that cartoons were better, 
10, 15 years ago, they were better 10, 15 years ago. And all right. I need to do is go on to one of these, um, <laughs> um, the, the business websites, the official websites, and see what they're showcasing. And if all it takes is Adobe Flash and one year of Photoshop experience, my God, I should have tapped into this market. I was going to tap well, into this market. Well, that that's just it, is even like, say, Pixar, for example, all their employees are ordered to work from home, but none none of them have any kind of animation equipment of Pixar's caliber either well, at home or to bring home. So it's kind of like well, what somebody's got to be at Pixar to I, make I remember, anything. Well, I remember what they were doing, and this was a story that um, – this was a long ago story, and I'll kind of try to keep it short. But when they were creating Toy Story 2, uh, an incident happened where a I think it was a maintenance technician. So basically, they had a lot of like junk files. Uh, I could be getting information wrong about this. Um, if anyone listening would like to, you know, further fill me in on this, because I read this long ago, and uh, one of my favorite content creators, uh, Austin McConnell, did a video about this where. When creating Toy Story 2, there was a maintenance technician that would sort of delete all the junk files, you know, assets that they weren't going to use or whatever, uh, the right. temporary the temporary cache logs. In deleting these files, he accidentally deleted one of the mainframes, and upon deleting one of the mainframes, all of the previously worked upon assets started to disappear. So, to put it to oh, you bluntly... No. When you would create a character, let's say Buzz Lightyear, those are separate assets, right? So the right. eyes, the face, uh, you know, the helmet, those assets were shared on this, you know, one big mega supercomputer. Whereas, you know how like when you uh, when you have a video format and the f like the like an individual file, like an image, is on your desktop in the uh right. the video file you delete that file off of your desktop in the editing software it says this file could not be found yeah think of that 100 times over when all of the you know when buzz's eyes start to disappear from each frame of animation and then yeah. then goes the mouth then goes the nose and thankfully they were able to fix it and you know essentially salvage the movie but with pixar I think they do have the equipment to do so, so that that incident doesn't happen again. Whereas right. the assets are now on one huge uh, cloud streaming service software where anyone can just sort of uh, rummage through whatever file they need and um, and work from home. I believe uh, employees are required to have like uh, the latest animation software they use. I don't know if it's Flash. Mm -hmm. I know that's what a lot of people use, a lot of companies use um, uh, when they animate. But right. I, I don't think people are being put out of work at least, at least in Pixar sense, because they they've gone through hell to make sure it doesn't happen to that extreme again. Well, and and I, I think that's that's just the other thing too is uh, even a company like Disney, you know, there were suggestions uh, a while back of if things really go down the toilet in regards to the economy and, you know, coronavirus continues on, 
that Apple could be in the market in basically buying Disney, which is something I never would have thought of. On top of that, allegedly Disney is going to – let me double-check this because I know uh, uh, a journalist that I trust and follow on Twitter shared an article from The Hollywood Reporter about this, and he thought it was a – he was almost thinking it was an April Fool's joke um, where, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Disneyland and Walt Disney World are currently – uh, set to reopen April 1st. Hmm. So to, that's the thing is Disney specifically Disney is, is taking a big hit. And I know that a lot of other, you know, groups out there have also taken a major hit, like in regards to, um, uh, sorry, just kind of double checking on my notes here. Um, Cirque du Soleil, they, they temp- they temporarily laid off 95% of their staff after closing shows. Um and they're basically like we're going to hang on as long as we can. And I think that, you know, as much as, you know, it's Cirque du Soleil like people may have their different views on it. I personally I I look favorably towards them because their Beatles show Love that was like a reinvention of my love for the Beatles as a kid because I I got to see it way back when I was like 11 or 12 years old. Um, first and only time I went to Vegas and I wasn't even a teenager, <laughs> but <laughs> it you was ever such go back? an amazing, eh, probably not. Um, yeah. but maybe, maybe to find the American dream, but that's a podcast for another time. Um, but like it, it was so cool and fascinating and unlike anything I had ever seen. And you know, that's something that it's you read that and you got to admit to some extent it's heartbreaking because, you know, love it or love it or hate it. There's a lot of amazing stuff that has come out of Cirque du Soleil, you know, case in point, uh, love. That was that's it's an outstanding show. And it's something that, you know, I wish everybody could see. It's an expensive show, but nevertheless. Yeah. Um, and then on yeah, top same. of that. Uh, there was a shutdown or sorry, just reading over a deadline article, uh, you know, Trump's pal, uh, house representative, Adam Schiff, shifty Schiff. He's so shifty. (laughs) He's so shifty. Um, there's this deadline, (laughs) deadline headline, uh, saying that he's, he was leading efforts in Congress to extend relief to the entertainment industries, uh, suddenly unemployed. Um, this extends to the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, which is IATSE, which is a, a pretty profound union. And uh, they said that the shutdown has cost uh, its 150,000 members some 120,000 industry-related jobs so far. So, I mean, that that's like the majority. Um, like the unions donated $2.5 million dollars in the event of this. Um, but yeah. And, and on top of that, you know, I, I know we mentioned it a while back about, uh, you know, I made the comment about, I don't know if I'm going to see Dune at the end of the year. Uh, I hope so because I still need to read the book. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> well, I, I mean, know Hey, read the, the book. Batman, <laughs> the, the bat. Yeah. At, at this, at this rate, I will be watching the, the old movie. Um, you know, the Batman paused its production, uh, one of my f- favorite shows right now, Peaky Blinders, they halted their production for season six. Um, 
And then on top of that, you have a lot of movies that are going just straight to streaming after briefly being in theaters, such as, you know, I mentioned Onward, uh, Emma, which I know was very well received. And on top of that, you have The Invisible Man, which is by Universal. Um, there were a lot of rumors about Wonder Woman 1984 going to HBO Max. Thus far, it's being pushed to August. Um because that's just it with a big movie like, for example, Wonder Woman 1984, y- you know, that's a movie you invested a lot of money in. And I understand a company, any company, it doesn't ha- just have to be Warner Brothers, any company deciding, you know, this is going to be tough because we've invested a lot of money into this. And, you know, to then turn to a streaming service, it's difficult because now let's face it, a movie like Wonder Woman People are going to see it. People are going to – if it's on HBO – you know, in, in the rare case that it ends up on HBO Max or DC All Access, people are going to see it. But the big question is people then would have to go out of their way and purchase a streaming service that they may not currently have in order to see it. And so yeah. then you have to ask but, yourself, well, I, do I you want to pay for the streaming service or do you just want to do the free trial – but if you just do the free trial, then you're not getting additional money for the streaming service that keeps well, the service going. Well, that's what a lot of people did when it came to uh, Disney Plus and The Mandalorian. Literally exactly. would just stream the show as it came out. And honestly, this was very smart on Disney's part. You know, um, <laughs> my disdain of the company continues. However, with The Mandalorian... Um, uh, airing each episode as it did, it surpassed the 14-day free trial. So essentially, to keep watching, uh, you'd have to buy the service. Right. Which, you know, to me, I don't support the utilization of methods in order to get something for free, uh, like such as torrenting, you know? Um. Well, if it's a really old movie, then fuck it. <laughs> you know, that's just my yeah. personal opinion well, on the matter. Hell, but if it's if it's an older film, just head on over to the Criterion uh, there you collection. Go. They've got, there you, go. you know, we're not sponsored by him, and I'm not no. <laughs> saying. But at the same time, like they're they're pretty legit in terms of their, uh, you know, no pun intended, their collection of movies. I mean, I think my point is just that. You know, but when it when it comes or, down to yeah. uh, streaming services where each service is in tune with a different, well, service, you know, Netflix with movies, Hulu with TV shows and Disney Plus with essentially the vault that they have. Yeah. Among among others, which, you know, don't even don't even get me started. <laughs> it, <laughs> you know, it's it's a lot like those uh those subscription those subscription services for like loot crate the uh again not sponsored but services where you essentially open a box and you just get a bunch of random shit that's essentially what's happening but it's random shit spread out over multiple platforms of well what service do i get what service is gonna uh meet my needs right the the whole all-in-one notion of Netflix, I want to say maybe seven to ten years ago, is no more. There is no all-in-one anymore. The main drive is – the main purpose of multiple 
services is to purchase multiple services. Yeah. And I mean, well, and I yeah. think, well, I was, I was just going to add that I think, um, if anything, what really, what, what makes this whole situation, in, in my opinion, such a, such a big mess, not just from the standpoint of, you know, people losing work, uh, companies having to basically shut down. I mean, like, that's just it. I mean, you, you know, we're still seeing trailers for movies and, you know, you can still get stuff on Disney Plus or on some of these services that are being run by bigger companies. Um, but it's just that that's just it, is that if you want it, if you're expecting new content, it has to have already either been completed or you can somehow do post-production virtually from home. And, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people where as much as kind of encapsulating kind of what I had said at the beginning of, our, of this discussion where, you know, there's a lot of films out there that I'm, I'm jaded and I just have no interest in. It doesn't mean I don't love film, but it's about finding the right kinds of movies. And I think arguably last year, given, you know, our last couple of episodes, uh, Last year was rife with a ton of tremendous movies, and it, it surprised the hell out of me. Now, you flip that once you hit 2020, because prior to any pandemic, uh, I only had like three movies to look forward to. And, you know, one of them I was, you know, I'm apprehensive about the new Bond film. That's just because I wasn't a big fan of the last one. Um, but I'm optimistic nonetheless. And the other two movies of this year, I'm excited because they're fresh and they're different and they're by directors that I like and that I trust. Now we're in this zone where if you look at it, it's kind of like we're in uncharted territory because, yes, a lot of these films are completed. But then the question is, OK, we start releasing all these different films, whether they're independent films or big budget blockbusters like James Bond or a Marvel film. But then how do you go forward? Because you, at the, right now you can't, you know, there's no, no production. There's no active production right now because of quarantine, isolation and social distancing. So I think the point I'm getting at is you've got probably the most pronounced audio visual art medium in the entire world totally cut off and you know yeah you've got all of this extra content floating around that you could push on a streaming service or send it straight to vod but then you got to look at the economic impact of these companies that are relying on these movies to make bank and it's it's weird when the new normal is don't go to the movie theater and i think that's probably if there's anything tragic in all of this other than people losing their jobs it's we may potentially be in the final days of the movie theater and you know what as much as you know movie going experiences may suck when you've got either loud obnoxious people or you got kids kicking your chair or you got people texting or god forbid the movie's bad um but you're in the movie theater so you're enjoying it <laughs> that was me when i saw rise of skywalker um, like, I think that's where... Oh, so, so where... you finally, you finally crossed over then, is what I'm hearing. 
What do you mean? Uh, stating that it was uh, not all that it was supposed to be. Oh, well, again, I be, sitting in the movie theater, <laughs> when you're in the movie theater watching a Star Wars film, it's yeah. it's you, a religious you it, experience. You, you want but it then, to be a specific you want it to go a specific way. And I mean, that's how it that's how it was when I saw the uh, uh, Phantom Menace 3D uh, when they were kind of doing that shtick. Oh, I remember it was like, that. Like the whole prequel trilogy and all of them are going to be in 3D. And they kind of just stopped at Phantom Menace. They were. Well, that's the thing. They were going to do the whole saga. Yeah. That was the intent. And then. They just never did. Or, well, around the time that episodes. Because they were going to release episodes two and three within a certain time period. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen because around that time period was when Disney bought Lucasfilm. Right. And so all of those re releases of Attack the Clones onward never happened. Um, yeah. And and you know, realistically, I mean that. I mean, well, and that's the other thing is when I had seen uh, when I saw Phantom Menace in 3D, I you know I had already seen it a million times. So it, it's but seeing a Star Wars movie for the first time in the theater, like I said, it's it's a religious experience. And I think mm-hmm. the idea that that's something that people may not have when this whole mess is over with. It's it's sad because, you know, it makes me think back to, you know, the first time I saw a Harry Potter movie was in a movie theater. Um, you know, it makes me think about all these other great experiences I've had. Now, does that mean some of the landmarks in Hollywood? Does that mean they're going to close, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, the Chinese theater or even around the country, you know, the Alamo Draft House? Like, does this mean each of these theaters are going to be kaput? Probably not, but it just it might mean that movie theaters might wind up being a dime a dozen. And I think that's the the tragedy that we could be seeing in all this. So, um, yeah, I, I think if anything, it's 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 both right now to wrap this up right now. It's both a blessing and a curse to be a movie fan because. You know, it's like that Twilight Zone episode where Burgess Meredith is like, I have all the time in the world now to read. And then his glasses break and he can't read. And, <laughs> you know, that that's kind of the situation we're in, which is, oh, I, I've got all the time in the world now to watch, to rewatch all the Star Wars movies, all the Harry Potter movies, all of the Middle Earth movies, all of, the, you know, the James Bond movies. But then you're going to hit that point or, or, you know, I'm going to rewatch all of Dr. Who, uh, you know, going all the way back to 1963 up until Jodie Whittaker's latest season. But now it's like, okay, I've, I've watched everything. Now what? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the curse aspect, which is looking forward to new material, even if it's not a sequel to something you already like, you know, you've heard me rant about it. I want new content. I want new material. And right about now, I've only got two pieces of new material that I'm looking forward to that are, you know, unfamiliar content. And then meanwhile, I have two other pieces of content, one that's a sequel and one that's a, I guess, a remake that I'm looking forward to. The only problem is, is that one of those got pushed to November and the other one, it's production shut down. So... It's put me in this weird funk where 
you know, stuff that I was subliminally excited about, I now have to kind of temper my excitement and just kind of accept things the way they are. And I think if anything, that's the, the, the sad note that we have to end this episode on is just sort of the way things are. It's, Hey man, the, the, the journey to Mars is not always not all you, you can't always leave with positive sentiments. You just kind of have to, um, face the reality that you're living in. Um, hopefully it's temporary and, you know, I hate speaking in generalities when it comes to topics such as this, but for the time being, that's really all we can do. Yeah. Um, oh no, I, I get it. I mean, so. I think if anything, it's the it's the the existentialist in me that. The, it's the existentialist at, in in me, not far from you, year wise. <laughs> whereas yeah. you know, as artists and really collectively as artists existing in the Los Angeles area. Uh, what do we do? And hopefully by next episode, we'll get a better grasp at it. <laughs> so one one hopes. One so. hopes. A new hope. Oh geez. Um, <laughs> Star Wars episode's over. All right. So when it comes to where we can find us, go ahead. Yes. So you'll be able to find us on social media. Uh, head on over to Instagram and or Twitter. Give us a follow. We're at Mars on Life Show on both of those platforms. Uh, Sebastian and I just did. Of course, by the time you're listening to this uh, video, will be a week old. Uh, but we uh, just did a little video together where we maintained our social distancing. And um, yeah, uh, growing a beard is. Uh, not easy, but you know what? Uh, these are strange times, and I will do strange things uh, to not keep everything so monotonous. Uh, uh, in terms a, of, I found a stick in the park. Pretty happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, right, Charlie can... Brown. I found a rock. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of where you could find uh, myself, uh, I'm available on Instagram at, at Dr. Sebi. And on Twitter, it's at Dr. Underscore Sevi. Uh, that's my individual handle. And at my end, uh, if you head on over to Twitter and Instagram, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mancini.RA. And you can find me on Instagram at Mancini Ryan. You've been listening to Mars on Life. You can find this show on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Our artwork is done by Zachary Erbrick, and our intro music is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. I've been Ryan Mancini. My co-host, as always, is Sebastian Shug. And just remember, if you keep on going, you'll make it to Mars. <laughs> <laughs>